Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Coralie Beatty's career in the construction industry started with a 10-year stint as a building envelope consultant with a multinational engineering firm. She then went into business with her husband, running a successful mechanical engineering firm for 15 years. Even though she was financially successful, the business was running her life. She hired a coach to learn how to better organize the systems and processes of her business to make it run more smoothly without her constant interference and to make it sellable. Coralie did sell that business and then decided to support other women owners in construction-related businesses through becoming a coach herself. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Coralie. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. So you're a coach specializing in women in the construction industry. How did you get into the construction industry? Well, it's a a long history, but it's interesting because I never had anybody in my family or around me that was in construction. I discovered construction as a little girl, probably six or seven years old, when the subdivision that I was living in was being built up. And I would wander construction sites sort of after school or on the weekends when they were shut down and they didn't have any safety fence to keep us little people out. So you could just wander around. And that's where I discovered how much I loved construction. Like it was like the sounds of like the rough framing and when I'd climb the stairs, just that echoing sound in a, in the building was like this thing that filled my heart and I'd pick up the nails and I'd, and I'd be playing around in these spaces, just thinking about who's going to live here and what is it going to be like? And it's going to, you know, what is this going to look like when it's all finished? So that's kind of where it started. And then, you know, I would hang out with my dad if he did repairs in the basement or when we renovated and did things like that, but it was nothing that was really around me. So I was kind of isolated in my love of this. And then through my teenage years, I kind of went away from it because it wasn't something that, you know, a lot of girls did. When I graduated high school, again, it wasn't something that girls did or was even talked about. So it wasn't even a thought in my mind to pursue construction when I left high school. It's when I went into university and took psychology because I wanted to help people and all that stuff. And was, you know, my fourth year, year of university, I was like, you know, this is really emotionally charging. I was dealing with kids in a youth detention centers And I just thought, I can't identify with these kids. They were so far removed from what I knew growing up that I I didn't feel like I could genuinely help them because I just couldn't identify with them. So at that point, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And that's why I was like, well, why don't I do construction? Why don't I do that thing? So that's when I made the switch. It was like an abrupt, dropped out of university, picked up into technical school and started pursuing my construction career. And that was the first time in the history of my education except for in kindergarten. When I was in kindergarten, I really liked school and I loved reading because I was really good at it and I would get these certificates. But other than that, it was the only time in my whole history of school that I loved learning. I was just like, oh, this is amazing. It was so, it was exactly what I liked to do and I got to learn about it. And that just wasn't something I ever experienced. I never made that connection between learning and loving it. Like it just wasn't there until Mm -hmm. I started doing that. So that's kind of how I ended up in construction. 
So was that weird for you to go from studying psychology and getting your bachelor's to go into trade school? And was your, what did your family think of that? My family's always been super supportive of everything I've ever done, no matter how crazy it's been. So they were like, oh, that's great. Like it was like, I had a part-time job at the time and I was going to school part, well, full-time, I guess I was taking a full course load and I quit my job and I quit school and took an abrupt turn and they were really supportive. And for me, like I said, it was just really amazing because I've always kind of been somebody who just does things like, I'm not going to think about it for a long time when it feels right. When I'm like, oh, this is it. Then I just make the decision and go. I don't dwell on it. So for me, it was like I knew it was the right thing right from the beginning. Because the other thing is this program that I got into, they're usually waitlist to get into it. And school had already started. I was into September when I came to this realization. And I just called the school to say, hey, I'm thinking of this. And they're like, hey, we happen to have a spot available. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay. Like. I got a, this is maybe a Thursday and I started at school on Monday. So it was like quit university, quit my job and start at new school on Monday. And it was a quick decision, but best decision I could have made for sure. And your career started out in the construction industry. You said working as a, a building envelope consultant. What is that? So I started in the kind of mid nineties. And at that time where I live, which is in Vancouver, British Columbia, we had this thing going on that was called the condo crisis. All these condominiums were built. They had no overhangs. They had no breathing space. They had no design for the rainforest that they are built in. So there was this crisis of buildings leaking and deteriorating and the whole structure rotting out. Like it was, it was a really catastrophic design failure, like just for the environment that we were in. So as a building envelope consultant, we went originally, we were going into these buildings, doing assessments, figuring out what needed to be repaired, where things needed to be changed. And then we would upgrade these buildings. We'd go through a rehabilitation of the buildings, you know, stripping them down to the studs, replacing studs that were rotten. It was, it was very interesting, like just to see what is possible behind the walls that you can't even imagine. And then as we shifted out of, I mean, there's still, that went on for many years, but then we started getting into design. So we did a lot of design for new construction as well. So that buildings were built properly from the beginning to be able to handle the amount of rain we get here locally. Oh, interesting. Now you were doing that for about 10 years and I'm sure you were facing challenges. It sounds like you were enjoying your work, but you were facing challenges and you decided to instead go into business with your husband to do your own business. What made you decide to switch over like that? It wasn't a mechanical engineering firm. It was actually mechanical contracting. So my husband is a plumber by trade. And so we had talked about him having his own business. So he had started that a couple of years while there was this overlap between him starting the business and me still being employed with the engineering firm. So I had my second child and It was kind of this transition where his business was getting to be too busy for him to manage on his own and I couldn't continue to do it part time. It needed more of my time. So that was a point at which, you know, I was on maternity leave with my second child and we decided to build a house. That's when I kind of retired from my engineering firm and I acted as general contractor to build our own house, which was an amazing experience for me. I loved it. And it worked well because where I have the organizational and management skills. I also have some technical stuff, but my husband has a lot more of the technical, you know, how a house goes together stuff than experience than I did. So between the two of us, we had a really great experience. And so at the end of building our house, that was the point at which I went in full time with him and his business so that I could, you know, we can get it on track. We could grow it and such. 
it was really good for the first few years. Like it was making money. We had money in the bank for taxes. And it was just like this sweet little place. We're just like, this is amazing <laughs> until it wasn't. It was just like, oh my word. Yeah. Then it takes over. You've talked about this on your website. I was, I was looking through your website and I know this is really what a lot of your coaching business is based around, but the idea of just overwhelm and running your own business and how you can, I think the way you put it was that like you get on a hamster wheel mm. and you want to help people get off that hamster wheel and enjoy their business and enjoy what they've created for themselves rather than have it really overtake their lives. Is that what happened to you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because like I said, in the first few years, it was, it was bliss. It was very manageable and we had the money, we had the cash flow, and it was very easy. But then as we started to grow and when you don't have your systems in place and you start to grow, you know, it's like you're having a harder time keeping those balls in the air. And then all of a sudden you're working 14, 16 hour days. And, you know, I had young kids and it was very difficult to run the chaos that was our business when everything is doing it for the first time because you don't have those systems or, you know, whether it be templates or whatever it happens to be in place. When you don't have those things in place and you're doing it the first time, every time, it's so time consuming and your employees don't know what's happening. You don't know what's happening. And so you're always flying by the seat of your pants. You're always operating in emergency mode. It's like, oh, we got to do this thing right now. And then it's like, oh, we got to collect some money. So now I got to do some invoicing. Like there was just no structure. And I am a person that needs structure and organization. So my brain was like, not functioning well, for sure. How did you come to that point where you were like, you know, I need to hire a coach? How did you even realize that was the answer? Because I think, you know, a lot of people are just I figured this is just what running a business is. Yes. And it's hard. And, you know, everyone know, everyone kind of knows it's hard. So that's just what I got myself into here. Yeah. It was a lot of tears, mm-hmm. a lot of tears and a lot of, I can't keep doing this. Like, I just can't, like, I just don't have time. I don't, I can't be present with my kids. I can't be present at work. I'm like always in all places at once. And it was a point of, like, my brain was just always, I couldn't sleep because in, you know, in the night it's like, I could pay this bill and do this thing and all the, all night. And then finally I'd fall asleep for a couple hours and get up and do it again. So it was at that point, but my husband, I didn't even know coaching existed because this is in the early 2000s. I didn't even know that coaching was a thing. So my husband's like, we're going to go to this. It was was almost reminded me of, you know, timeshare type of thing. You go listen to their timeshare and then you get like a free gift or whatever it is. That's what it reminded me of. I didn't know what it was that we were going to. He said, we're going to go do this seminar, blah, blah, blah. He didn't even tell me it was any kind of coaching thing. I don't know that he knew that that's what it was. But we went to this thing and it was down in Seattle. So we were in Vancouver. So it was a couple hour trip that we went to this thing. We went for the day and it was a presentation put on by a coaching company. And at the end of it, I just, I sat there and I was just like, oh, it was a big investment for us. Yeah. And I knew that that's exactly what we needed. And we were, I was just struggling with it because one, as a woman, it's just like, I can do it all. And this is what a lot of women, it's like, I can do it all. I don't need help. But I was at that place where I'm like, oh, I could really use the help. And that was kind of the switch for me. I needed to acknowledge you need the help. You need to invest in yourself. You need to invest in yourself. And that I think is where so many women get hung up. They have Mm -hmm. a really difficult time in investing in themselves. They'll invest in their family. They'll invest in their business. They'll do these other things. But actually investing in themselves is always a challenge. So that's where I was. I was kind of suffocating because it was a big investment for us. But at the same time, I knew that this would be the difference maker. And it was. Like we decided to go ahead with this and it was frightening but it was a game changer. Just finally, 
It wasn't having to figure it all out on my own. It wasn't like, okay, I got 4,600 things to do and which one am I going to pick? Because there's the balance between working on your business and working in your business. And when there's so much out of control that, you know, on your business that you need to do, you don't even know where to start. So it was finally somebody saying, okay, these are the things we need to have in order. I'm like, okay, I can do that. You know, so it was having somebody help me get focused, focus on the one thing. Let's just do this one thing. And then everything else could go away. And it was, yeah, like I said, game changer for us. So how long would you say that took to get all those systems in place? Oh, we were still working on it when we sold the business. Like it, it was 10 years of just constant working on the business because it's doing the little things every day. Like we would start to recognize that we need to get some systems in place. So you start with what is your biggest time sucker. So you start with those things. And then you can, because in a contracting business, especially ours where we did everything, we did construction and service and install. And then we did plumbing and heating and air conditioning and gas. Like we did so many things, which I don't recommend, by the way. We did so many things. to So to find the standard operating procedures for each element of our business was just an ongoing, something that we just continue to work on. It takes a long time. But to get me to a place where I could manage my business a little bit more effectively was a very short period of time because it was like, okay, you need to put these key things in place. One of the big things was just being able to track our numbers, setting up our accounting system so we could actually know where things were at. So we could actually run the reports every month or every two weeks or depending on what part of the business we were looking at. We could do those things on a regular basis and actually have meaningful data. And when we could do that, that was that was huge because then we could say, oh, we need to do some savings here. We need to do some spending here. Or, you know, we could see where we were making money, which parts of the business we could focus on growing. It gives you so much data. So that was probably, and that was something that happened really early on in the process because it was one of the key things for us is just to get our numbers sorted out, have a proper chart of accounts where we could actually track the information that was useful to us in order to grow our business. And I'm assuming, and you can correct me, that this coach that you had hired or this company you had hired to help you was not construction specific. It was just business related, right? No, they were actually a plumbing, heating, HVAC specific company. Oh, that is very niche. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. So then you were able to sell your business yes. and you said to yourself, okay, well, I've been through this. I can help other people. So what, what made you want to do that? Because that's another business. You're starting another <laughs> business. <laughs> well, you know, what's interesting is that I always thought it was my husband's idea to have our own business, to do that whole entrepreneurial thing. Because I was like, I'm sure that's not something I wanted to do. must have been him. And then I found this piece of paper, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And it was my goals written out in 1999 before I met my husband and it said, I wanted to be a business owner. And I listed out all these things and I was like, Oh my word, it was me. <laughs> so it was something that I apparently always wanted, which I didn't even realize because I think it's like that one of those things in your head, you're like, why would I do this to myself? You know, and it must've been his, it must've been his idea. It couldn't have been my idea. So once you become an entrepreneur, it's very hard to not be an entrepreneur just because you're used to running things. You're used to for me anyway, used to running things, used to being in control of things, used to being in control of my time, my money, my experience, all of those things. And so when I sold the business and tried to figure out what I was going to do next, it wasn't an immediate, oh, I'm going to do coaching and I'm going to coach women in construction. It wasn't, it was a very emotional journey. I had the first two years of after we sold our business was really a dark kind of time for me because I was 
it was like you're mourning the loss of your identity of being that business owner because we had it for so long. That's who I was for so long. So I was kind of mourning that loss of who I was and trying to figure out who I am now. And that's a lot of soul searching because when you're running a business, you don't have time for that soul searching. And at least I didn't, especially having four young kids that I homeschooled at the same time. So there wasn't a lot of time to think about that. So this was the time that I had these first two years and I knew I could do anything. And what was that thing going to be? So I went through a couple of ideas and stuff. And then I, it was like this light bulb went off one morning. I was like, ah, coaching, that's what I want to do. And first it was just women business owners. And it was kind of this evolution, if you want to call it that, of what I was to actually get to where I was, because it was actually life coaching for women in business first. And then it was like, I miss the business part. I like the business. That's what I really loved doing. So I'll do business coaching for women. And then I knew I needed to niche down. And that was where the biggest challenge was because, you know, I could pick any niche. You just need to pick one. But I wasn't, you know, a physiotherapist. I wasn't a spa owner. I wasn't all these things where you can actually find women owners. I was a woman in construction. That's who I was. That's who I identified with. And so to get to that point where I was like, committing to this very small niche. I was like, these are my people. And yeah, it's not going to be really easy to find them and to connect with them. But these are the people I want to serve because they're underserved. They're undervalued. Everywhere we go, we're by ourselves or we're around a table of men. And I wanted to start that. And that's where I was committed. So it has been a long journey of, you know, getting out there and meeting people and connecting. And it's been a great experience my people, you know, that's what's been a a beautiful thing about it. But it is ongoing work all the time, because it is so niche. And women in construction are, you know, few and far between. So it's a matter of finding them, connecting with them, you know, helping them all these little things. So it was a journey, definitely one I am committed to and continue to pursue and love helping for sure. Well, and I'm not going to let it slip by that you said you're homeschooling for children during this time (laughs) period. That's a lot, but it makes sense because, you know, you're a teacher of your children and it makes sense that you're able to then like guide and teach Mm. women in their professions. You're working with many women in ownership and leadership in construction. What are some of the challenges that you're seeing them face these days? The biggest challenge I see It's not even related to their business so much as it is related to their lack of confidence, you know, that imposter syndrome and the fear and the fear of many things, the fear of success, the fear of failure, the fear of being found out, the fear of, you know, not being able to prove that they can do it, not being able to, you know, thinking that they don't belong at the table and all of these things that are in their head. And this is one of the reasons why I love what I'm doing is because One of my most satisfying moments is when I actually see that aha moment for the first time when they realize that they are worth something. They do belong at the table. They do have the experience that they need to do this. Just that recognition and awareness of who they are, what they've accomplished. And that is like a really satisfying thing for me to see. So of course, we work on the business and that is a big part of what we do. But the bigger part is the mindset, developing the mindset, strengthening the mindset, changing the way they're thinking, changing the things that they're saying to themselves, because that is, I'm going to say with almost everybody that I work with, that is their biggest challenge. So it's 
it is interesting that although I do business coaching primarily, that is a big part of everything we work on. Yeah, it's really, it's great how you can do both of those things because they're, I feel like they're both so different, but yet they're so interrelated that it's, it's amazing to have that skill to be able to help women in both of those areas. Now, suppose someone comes to you and says, I got this promotion. I have to do a big presentation before, you know, this room of, of my superiors and I'm extremely terrified. I have tons of anxiety. How do you help them? What do you tell them? One of the first things that I bring to their awareness, again, I think awareness is a huge thing because when you're not aware of how you're thinking, how you're feeling, then it just goes uncontrolled. But as soon as there's an awareness to how they're thinking and how they're feeling, then they can acknowledge it and at least process it a, a little bit more objectively. The first things I'll bring to their attention is fear, anxiety, worry, all of those things that we feel in our body they are the exact same feeling as excitement. Mm -hmm. If you think about how your body feels in those states, the body feels exactly the same. The difference is what you're thinking. So if we can change the thoughts as in these people are way more experienced than I am, they're going to see right through me, blah, 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 whatever those things are that you're saying to yourself, if you can change that and just start saying, and it's very intentional, and like I said, it comes down to awareness, it has to be very intentional to say, I have studied this position or I've been in this position and I have this expertise and I can do this. These people may be superior to me in whatever way, but when it comes to this subject that I'm talking on, I am superior because I know this and this and this is my experience and all of those things. And the other things, I don't need to know everything. You don't need to know it all. And it's okay because nobody knows it all. And we always think we need to know 110% of the information in order to be kind of 60% adequate. So when we can just have a little bit of awareness of these things and just go through our mind and think about those. So that is certainly where I would start is just the awareness, recognize the feelings, change the thoughts, and let's start there. And those little things are, I think for a lot of people, they don't recognize it until it's brought to their attention. And they're like, oh yeah. And then it starts a conversation or it starts the shift. But none of this stuff happens with a snap of the fingers and we're fixed. It's ongoing. Mm -hmm. Like everybody has those voices, no matter how confident you are, no matter how strong you are in your head, you still have those voices that try to tell you otherwise. And it's constantly working on it. And it's just, like I said, awareness, acknowledgement and saying, oh, there it is again. And how am I going to change it? What can I tell myself instead? And it's a good starting point. Thank you. That's amazing. I think that a lot of women can probably relate to that and use some of that advice. And so just talking about construction in general, because because we were really just, we were talking about really, that could have applied to any job, but in construction, what misconceptions are you seeing around women in construction these days? Oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> and it's not even just women in construction. It's just construction in general. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about it being dirty and foul, and for strong men, strong white men, it's a lot of misconceptions about what construction is on a whole. But for women in particular, you know, they think that you have to be butchy, or you have to be big and strong, and you have to be foul in the mouth, and you have to think certain ways. And there's a lot of things that people don't necessarily identify themselves as, but they think that that's the way you need to be. You kind of have to be manlike because it's a man's industry. So you need to be manlike in order to be successful in that industry. 
but it's not at all the case. And not just, you know, being a designer, but being an electrician or a plumber or a carpenter. You don't need to have those traits or you don't have to be that type of person in order to be successful in those areas. And I think that that's where we need to change the idea of what a construction worker looks like because we have this idea that they need to be a certain way and it just isn't true. You can certainly be successful whoever you are. Women bring such a different skill set to the industry that just isn't recognized as of high value that it is. And those are things like, you know, attention to detail, the ability to communicate, organization, having foresight. Like there's just, there's so many of those soft skills that women naturally are stronger at that are really missing in the construction industry. And when women realize that not only is there a place for them, but there is a need for them, I'm really hopeful that we'll start to see more women coming into the industry. I'm really hopeful because I think it's, it's really satisfying career choice for sure. Yeah. And I think we are starting to see increases. I saw something online recently. I'll have to dig it up, but I think it was the U.S. National Labor Bureau. There was a slight increase this year. But what you're talking about with, you know, being able to be both skilled and feminine or, you know, have those feminine traits and soft skills, but, you know, also be seen as strong. I think this is this is right on point. I think this is what a lot of women are talking about right now. We certainly see it, you know, among some of the younger women who are out there as influencers in the STEM and construction communities, getting that message across. And I think it's something that we can all benefit from. It's not the old days where we had to pretend that we were, you know, just like the men. We can Mm -hmm. be ourselves. And I think that's a wonderful message to send. You have a keynote that is very popular and it's about culture and why culture matters. Can you just tell us what that keynote is about? And where people can find it. Yeah, this is probably my most passionate thing that I deal with with women because as a business owner, when we were our business owners, well, when we had our trades business, part of my mission was to make sure our employees' lives were better because they worked for us. And it was something I always focused on. I value people. And when people recognize, it's not a common thing in the construction industry, but when you recognize that your people are your number one asset, you need to start treating them like that. And we don't see that in typical construction companies. So I'm actually even writing a book on this right now that's supposed to be released. It's in uh, formatting and such right now. It's, it's all, I don't actually know the title yet. We haven't decided, but it's all (laughs) about, you know, it's positioning your business to be an attractive employer, to be the place where people want to work. It's about finding the people like, sure. Okay. We're a great business, but where do we find the people? So it's about Mm -hmm. finding the people and it's not just in your typical places. It's not just on job boards or wholesalers. It's not those things. It's kind of a few different creative ideas that you can do. And then the third thing is about the hiring process and onboarding. So it's a book that I'm writing because I think this is such an important topic. And I think this is the game changer for any business owner in the construction industry. When you can put your business in a position to be the high demand employer because you treat your people so well, you will become an employer that has people knocking on your door because they want to work for you. So it's all about those things. And the biggest thing is positioning your business because in positioning your business, what you're doing is you're taking care of the person. You're taking care of their work. So the environment, and then you're also taking care of, well, taking care of the environment and then you're taking care of the work. So the person is the personal taking care of the benefits that will make their life easier. The things that they'll be like, wow, you do that. And then taking care of the environment is making it a positive culture. 
you're doing the things that as a team, you're building the team, you're creating relationships, you know, within where people want to go to work. And then the third thing within that positioning your business is taking care of the work, which means having your processes, your systems in place so that the work is easy. People aren't showing up for work and going, okay, what am I doing today? Or, oh, you have to do this thing and they don't know how to do that thing because there's no process in place for it. So those are kind of the three things that are all about positioning your business. And I think when you can get those things in place, you're really putting yourself in a good position to have happy employees and have them want to stay with you. Oh, that's amazing. And how did you learn about this? Was this this through your own businesses that you learned? A lot of it was learned in business. I've done a lot of reading and research and learning books and self-development and, you know, whatever I could do to become a better leader for my people. It's just been a wide range of learning. Yeah. Well, the culture really does come down to leadership. And I've, I've interviewed a few leadership coaches recently, and I'm hearing echoes of, of what they were saying about, you know, what makes good leadership in what you're saying about culture. It's interesting. Well, that's what I say is that, you know, a good culture starts with great leadership. If you don't exactly. have great leadership, you're going to have a crappy culture, no matter how good your middle area is, you need that top down. If you don't have the top down, if you're not the, if you're not setting the standard at the top, then it fails in the middle. So. Yeah. It's great to see some of these concepts being brought into the construction industry. It's something that maybe is talked about in some other types of businesses, tech maybe, but it's nice to see it filter into construction. Well, and that's the thing. I think that there hasn't been that conversation. The blue collar worker from the 70s, 80s, even probably into the 90s, where they're just happy to have a job. They go to work, they do their job, they go home, they get their paycheck. That doesn't exist anymore. The the people who are coming up, they value themselves more than we ever knew how to 20, 30 years ago. I guess it's more like 30 or 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they know how to value themselves more. And we need to take care of that. If we want to be attracting people into the industry, we need to be putting these things in place that take care of the people because that's what they need. And if we're not doing that, if we still have that reputation of being an employer that just gets people to go to work and do your job, people aren't going to be attracted to that. Mm -hmm. When is your book coming out? It's done editing. It's in formatting and all that stuff right now. And, you know, the creative bit about the title. I don't know what it's going to be called. Um, I'm not a creative brain. My brain is more like very structured and organized in little boxes and do things. So I, I defer to the professionals to do the creative bits. And so um, it's in that right now. I'm hoping to have it released by the end of March. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to read that. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your coaching business and about your history and now about your upcoming book, which is fascinating, bringing this concept of culture into the construction world and how that can really improve businesses. The book is really like a a reference guide type of thing. It's intended to be very actionable. It's something Mm -hmm. that you don't have to read from cover to cover. You can go to any place in it and go, this is what I need to do to fix this part of my business. This is where I can go. So it's not, it's not like a novel. It's not really long. It's very actionable, short reference guide where people can just do the things and get results. And where can our listeners find you to learn more about your coaching business? Also to see your book when it comes out. My website is thrivehq.ca and you can find me anywhere on social media, Coralie Beatty. I'm one of one, so I'm easy to find. That's amazing. Well, Coralie Beatty, thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast today. We've learned so much and can't wait to learn more when your book comes out. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. 
That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.